Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Galatians. Don't make yourselves like a slave in a household who just lived under a bunch of rules but had no rights and, and privileges like a son would as, as an heir to a father whose estate would then pass on to his son. So he says, until that son comes into maturity. So the analogy is, until you come into spiritual maturity and you understand that what is at stake here, this is the inheritance of the Father through Jesus Christ, the Son. Don't put yourselves under the rules because then you're acting like a slave. Law and grace, slave and heir, bondage and freedom. Galatians has a lot to say about how to walk out your faith every day. And as Pastor Gary explains today, it starts with grace. Because of Jesus, you can have a relationship with God based on His grace. Nothing you can do will ever be enough to earn this. He gives it freely because He loves you. That's why Paul warns you not to settle back into thinking that what you do makes you right with God. That's not living in the freedom that Jesus came to give you. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection, subscribe to the podcast, or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Galatians chapter 4 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Galatians has been an ongoing theme. If you've been here for the past few weeks, you will remember that the theme is salvation is not Jesus plus, salvation is Jesus only, and the churches of Galatia were misunderstanding a relationship with Christ because they were being influenced by some Judaizers, some people who were Jewish, who believed that, yes, you were saved by trusting Christ as your Savior, but you also had to fulfill other requirements of the law. So it was Jesus plus the law, Jesus plus different feasts, Jesus plus circumcision, Jesus plus uh, kosher food and all this other stuff that they were believing. Paul comes along and he writes this letter and he is challenging the churches of Galatia. Don't go down that path. It is not Jesus plus. It is Jesus only and that we are justified, that is to say made right with God through faith alone in Christ alone. We're justified. We're made right with God through faith alone in Christ alone. So that's the main theme of the book of Galatians. Now, because Paul then kind of comes against the law in terms of it being a, a stepping stone to salvation, there's still an importance about it, but it is not to be seen as a stepping stone 
to be saved, then he answers the question at the end of chapter 3 where we left off last week, what then would be the purpose of the law? And he answers at the end of chapter 3, verse 24, he says, so the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. So that's really number three on this list, but to kind of summarize the purpose of the law throughout the New Testament, what it tells us is basically it is to explain what sin is. Paul said in Romans 7, I didn't even know what coveting was until I read it in the law. And then when I read, you should not covet, I realized I kind of covet. So it explains what sin is, and it exposes sin in us. It makes us aware of when we, that, that we are lawbreakers, and, and that in response to that, it should drive us to a Savior. Because if we all understand our own sinfulness and our own inability to live up to a standard of the law, then it should cause us to cry out for a Savior. So that's why Paul ends chapter 3 by saying, the law was put in effect to lead us to Christ, because it should shine the light in His direction, making us long for a Savior when we see that we are incapable of living up to all of God's righteous requirements. Now, we don't throw out the law. The moral code of the law is still preserved. But the ceremonial and dietary aspects of the law have been fulfilled in Christ. And in addition to that, the law is never to be seen as a process by which we are saved. You cannot do enough good things to get to heaven. Does everybody understand that? I'm going to say it over and over again in the course of Galatians, but it needs to be heard and received and understood. You cannot do enough good things to get to heaven. There was one good thing that was done to open the way to heaven for us. And that good thing was Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And His finished work is what allows us to go to heaven and to have our sins forgiven when we put our faith and trust in what He did for us. All other world religions is about what man can do for God. But Christianity is singled out in that it is what God can do and has done for man. And he has condescended, he has come down to our level, he took on flesh, he died for our sins, that we might be able to be saved through faith in his finished work on our behalf. We're not righteous enough, we're not deserving enough, we're not good enough. Try as hard as you might to do good things, that's very noble, but that is not going to be able to gain you entrance into heaven. So we need to be free from this mindset of, i got to strive to be good enough to get God's favor, because striving hasn't gotten anybody to heaven, and you don't need to strive to get God's favor, because God so loved the world, even when we were still sinners, Christ died for us, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So this is, this is the freedom that Paul wants the churches of Galatia to understand. This is the freedom that God would want us to understand. Now, he's going to talk into chapter 5 about some warnings about the freedom, but freedom, nevertheless, is something important to understand that we have in Christ. This is not just about shoulder to the wheel, you know, you know, nose to the grindstone, work your way, strive. This is about receiving a free gift. That's what salvation is. It's a free gift, unearned, undeserved, that we respond to, that we receive, that is offered on our behalf. So this is that whole theme here that Paul is writing about through this letter. Now, let me just back up and read the last few verses of chapter 3 so that we can get a running start into chapter 4. Chapter 3, verse 26, he says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Okay, it's a generic term, sons, daughters. You're all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, 
then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now circle the word heirs because that's going to be now the theme that he continues to expound upon into chapter 4 and he's going to make a contrast to kind of drive home this point that we are heirs. Now remember, to be an heir means that you receive an inheritance by virtue of relationship. That's what an heir is. Okay, Someone can be entered into a will manually, but you are automatically recipients of an inheritance by virtue of a relationship. So when someone dies, you receive an inheritance. Well, he's going he's to couch it in these terms, in terms of being an heir. You know, Christ has died. We receive an inheritance through him. And he's going to contrast between a child and a slave. Now, remember, this is first century Roman Empire during which Paul is writing. There are approximately six million slaves during the Roman Empire during this time, in the Roman Empire during this time. Some historians say as much as 10 million. So anywhere from six to 10 million slaves. Now, slavery, as bad as it is, no matter what culture you're talking about, it, it was different from the, the slavery that plagues American history. In that, Roman slavery was about two things. One, it was about the spoils of war. If you were taken captive because the Romans defeated your country, you, you either had the option of death or to be an indentured servant to the Romans. So the spoils of war is one aspect of slavery in the Roman Empire. And the other aspect was you could become what is actually written about in the New Testament, a bond servant. A bond servant would be one who sells himself or herself into slavery. A lot of times people were destitute, and so the only way they could survive was they would sell themselves as an indentured servant to, uh, to an owner. You became property, but, it, but you, you were paid for it, and it was your way of, of survival, really. And sometimes you could buy back your, your citizenship once you were able to accumulate enough income. Paul actually uses that term in 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 11, verse 1. He talks about being a, um, or it might be chapter 1, verse 11. I might be dyslexic on that. But he talks about being a bondservant for Christ, and he's using that terminology. I'm one who has sold myself to Christ. I have given up everything because I belong to him as my master. So he's going to write now about children and slaves, And the contrast he's going to make, well, it'll become more clear. Let me just read the first uh, seven verses. Take a look here, chapter 4, verse 1. He says, What I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. So he repeats that word heir again. So let me unpack this a little bit because what, what is, what is he talking about here? First of all, he's drawing on the, the culture of the Roman Empire. He's not talking about Jewish culture because he mentions here when a child becomes a son, he says in relation to a, the father until the time set by his father. That's the way verse two ends. 
In Jewish culture, it wasn't a time set by his father. You reach 13 as a, as a boy, you were bar mitzvahed. If you reach age 13 as a girl, you're bat mitzvahed. So there was a coming of age process in Jewish culture. In Roman culture, it was basically whenever dad thought that the boy was old enough to be a man. And dad would then bestow on his son the full rights and privileges of an heir. And so that varied for boys growing up in Roman culture. But he's speaking here about this, the culture of the Roman Empire, whereby you'd have a son in a wealthy home, and you'd have a slave or a servant in a wealthy home. And the son had no more rights or privileges as a minor than the slave would, although the child is ultimately to receive an inheritance from the father, but not until he comes into maturity. Not until he comes to the place where he is seen as a legal and rightful heir with full rights and privileges as a son. So Paul is trying to get the people that he's writing to to understand, listen, don't go back to the way of the law. Don't be under some legal system because you need to understand that you have the richness of the inheritance of your father that is at stake here. Okay, don't make yourselves like a slave in a household who just lived under a bunch of rules, but had no rights and and privileges like a son would as as an heir to a father whose estate would then pass on to his son. So he says, until that son comes into maturity. So the analogy is until you come into spiritual maturity and you understand that what is at stake here, this is the inheritance of the father through Jesus Christ, the son, don't put yourselves under the rules because then you're acting like a slave. And he says, and he's going to say in chapter five, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Don't, don't be enslaved by a yoke of slavery. Don't live like that, that they would have understood in their own culture. He says in, in, in verse Uh, Three, he says, so also when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. You know, listen, that is reality. Before you come to know Christ, you're living according to the world standards. You and I used to do stuff based on the knowledge and the wisdom and the principles of this world until you come to know Christ. And so Paul's using this childlike comparison saying, like a child in a home that doesn't grow up, Uh, That's like a person who lives under the law and doesn't grow up onto maturity to receive the inheritance. Like a child in the world who's just living under the rules of the world system, you need to go on to maturity and grow up and understand what it means to have relationship with Christ. You belong to the Father. You have the rights and privileges as a son. And so he's he's talking here about in these terms. He says, look, we've, we've been adopted as sons by God. And we've been given the full rights and privileges. So walk in that freedom. You're an heir of Christ. And and Paul would write about that in Romans 8, 16 and 17, where Paul says that the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And he adds in Romans 8, 17, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Well, he goes on then in verse 8, and he says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. (laughs) I mean, he's just being direct with them. 
He's like, you're, you're free. You, you, you can walk in the freedom of sonship now. You, you belong to your father. Walk in that free. And even, you know, uses the Aramaic there, which is the same in Hebrew. Abba, father. He says, you have rights and privileges. That's what Abba means, father. Or a 1970s Swedish pop group. But however you want to look at it. You know, Dancing Queen and all that stuff. But anyway, but Abba, I, I remember actually the first time I was in Israel and I watched this little kid running down the the uh, streets of Jerusalem, and his dad was out in front of him, and hearing that little child going, Abba, Abba, Abba. Just, it was this precious moment of just this wonderful child just, you know, calling out Daddy in, in Hebrew. And Paul is saying, Listen, you, you, you can call out to your father. You are sons. You are daughters by relationship with Christ. So don't resort to, to going backwards. Going back, he says, you know, turning back to those weak, that's what he said there in verse 9, turning back to those weak and miserable principles. He said, do you want to be enslaved by those all over again? You, you want to have to be living by all these rules that you know you never could? This is why Jesus rebuked the Pharisees when he said, you do heap a heavy burden of the law on men's shoulders. Like you, you are making it difficult for people to enter into relationship because you're approaching the relationship through the law. Does everybody understand that God does not want a legal relationship with us? He wants a loving relationship with us. And it is based on love, not law. And, and the people who are adding the law to a relationship with Jesus are just becoming enslaved again. And that's why Paul says, I, I fear somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. In verse 12, he says, I plead with you, brothers. He says, become like me, for I became like you. What, what does he remember? Uh, what, what is he saying here? By the way, this is, I misspoke earlier. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, this is where he, he says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And that's what he means here when he says, I plead with you, brothers, become like me. This is not a proud statement. He's just basically saying, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. How challenging is that? How willing are you to say that to someone? Are you confident enough in your walk with Christ that you could say to someone, if you want to, if you want to get a good example of who Christ is, just kind of look at my life. Not in a proud way, but if you, if you want an example of a life that is devoted to Christ, just look at my life and follow me. That's what Paul's saying. He says, follow me, become like me. And he says, for I became like you. What does that mean? But what he means is I was legalistic just like you were at one time. And Paul was. I mean, he was zealous for the cause of Judaism, and he thought he was doing God a favor by having Christians arrested and killed. He says, I I remember living a life of legalist duty to the law, thinking that my righteousness was, was gained through doing good works and being a good person and fulfilling all the laws of God. He says, I I know. I became like you. I get it. He says, you have done me no wrong. Why does he add that there in verse 12? He adds that because he wants them to know that what he's saying to them is not because he's offended. He's saying this to them because he wants to give them the truth. He says in verse 13, As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me, he says, as if I were an angel of God as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Now, this is, a, this is an interesting passage here. He is telling the churches at Galatia something that um, 
is news to us. Not to them, because he says, as you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Now, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. So I'm going to read just real briefly out of Acts 16. You don't need to turn there unless, unless you want to. But in Acts chapter 16, Paul, uh, it is recorded in Acts 16, Paul's first missionary journey to uh, Galatia, to the churches of Galatia. And in Acts 16, it gives us a little more insight into what he must mean here in Galatians chapter 4. So we're going to compare Scripture with Scripture. Here's what Acts 16 tells us in verse 6. It says this, Paul and his companions, and that would be Silas and Timothy on this journey. He said, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia. There it is. Having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. That's an interesting verse. Why in the world would the Holy Spirit prevent someone from preaching the gospel? Sounds like a good thing to do, to preach the gospel. But in Acts 16 here in verse 6, it says that the Holy Spirit actually prevented Paul and Silas and Timothy from leaving Galatia to preach the gospel in Asia. And in Acts 16, verse 7, further, it says, And when they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Now, that's very perplexing until you put Galatians 4 with Acts 16. Because Acts 16 tells us the first time that Paul goes to Galatia, he can't leave because the Spirit prevented him from moving on. And in Galatians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul says, As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Now, this is very challenging on a few levels. So let me try to say this carefully. It appears that when you put Acts 16 together with Galatians 4, that what God actually used to sideline Paul to keep him in Galatia because his work wasn't finished was an illness. Now, why do I say that this is an important thing that I need to say carefully? Because a lot of times we dismiss illness as something that is all completely evil or of the world or of the devil. And listen, God can choose to use supernatural things or natural things to direct our lives, and he can even use an illness. I didn't say he caused Paul to become sick but he can use even our illnesses to sideline us, to cause us to kind of stay home or to not move on or to not go there or to not do this. Don't dismiss any different way, be it supernaturally or rather naturally, that God might direct our lives and the different things he might use to do that. Even in Paul's life, he says it was specifically because of an illness that I preach the gospel to you, and that the Spirit of Jesus would not allow him to move on. That's why he first ended up in Galatia, an illness. That's very challenging. Very challenging. We're always wanting to pray quickly for us to be healed and for illnesses to, to go. But sometimes, who knows, but what God might be using an illness to accomplish. That's very challenging. So back here in Galatians 4, Paul goes on to say in verse 15, what has happened to all your joy? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have, tur- you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. 
Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Now, this part here about tearing out their eyes and giving them to me is, an, is probably an inference to the fact that Paul had, most historians believe, some kind of a physical ailment in his eyes because he even concludes the letter to the Galatians here in chapter 6 where he talks about in verse 11, see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand because he, his eyesight was probably very poor from some kind of infection, so he's probably writing this letter, very large letters, and so that's uh, a reference to that. And so he's basically saying, I know if you could, you would tear out your own eyes and give them to me to replace my poor eyes with, with yours. I know you would do that. It, he, he says, so look, I, I tell you the truth, not to become your enemy. I tell you the truth because I love you. Thanks for tuning in today for this edition of Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hemrick. We pray today's teaching has blessed you and challenged you to draw closer to your Savior, Jesus Christ. If you're interested in hearing this message again or others like it, feel free to visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also download our mobile app so you can have these teachings with you on the go. That way you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Simply look under the Teachings tab. While you're there, feel free to take some time to learn about the church this radio ministry originates from, Cornerstone Chapel. We'd be excited to meet you if you're in the area. You'll find all you need to know about service times and other information on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for joining us to learn from God's Word together. And we hope you'll tune in again right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know